You're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Hey, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. What a, what a beautiful audience. I can see all of you. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. Clap and clapping. Yes. Clap for the miracle. Clap for the miracle. You don't get the miracle. You don't get the miracle if you don't clap. Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Thank you guys so much for joining me again. It is a it is a mitzvah, as always, a blessing to the goyim for you to join me, Spike Cohen, here on my fellow Americans every Wednesday. Thank you so much again. Um, yeah, please share and please comment with any questions uh, you have or any opinions. I will tell you if you're right or wrong. That's actually what this entire episode is about. Me telling you. If you're right or wrong, um, if you're watching this on YouTube, we are now simulcasting, simulcasting. We are simultaneously casting on Facebook, which is far inferior to YouTube, by the way, and on YouTube, which is far superior to Facebook. In fact, let me please put a link to the YouTube in Facebook if I can find it, because we get way more people on Facebook, but YouTube's way better. It looks so much better. I'm in full 1080p, such a better product. Plus we get paid. If we get enough viewers, we get paid. And where is that link? Here we go. So I'm putting this link. Already getting questions. Perfect. That is perfect that we're already getting questions. I already have more questions. And these are not, these are, these are, well, that's a, I guess that's a question. So if you are so inclined, you're you're more than welcome to stay here with me, Spike Cohen, on Facebook, but uh, way, way, way better, way better on YouTube, just way better. We also get paid if there's like several thousand of you, but that's not for nothing. This is honestly about you. This isn't about me. It's about you. And this is about the quality that I deliver, Spike Cohen, to you whenever possible. We have one person. Oh, I think that's me. Um on the uh, YouTube, but I'm sure that's gonna balloon any second now to thousands, thousands of people. Uh, so what else before we get started? Um, I, this is a Muddied Waters Media production, uh, paid for by a generous grant from the Russian government, apparently. Who knew? We are apparently a Russian, uh, Russian-funded uh, hate group. We got that over the weekend, earlier this week, and um, Dosvidanya. I don't, I don't know any Russian. I know Da and Dosvidanya. Matt told me a, uh, a, a cheer that's used when you drink. Mastrayev? I don't remember it. But Dosvidanya, whatever that means. I think it means goodbye. 
So don't leave. Don't 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 leave yet. The as always, I would like to thank Kroger for the beautiful, delicious, purified drinking water that I drink on this and every episode of My Fellow Americans. Except that time that I drank Zephyr Hills water that I can't find here in uh, in South Carolina. But God bless Kroger. Uh, the intro and outro music that I use on this and so far every episode of My Fellow Americans is from my good friend, the beautiful and talented Mr. Joe Davi. Uh, you can find him on, uh, it's J-O-D-A-V-I. You can find him on Facebook. You can find him on SoundCloud. He's on the Bandcamp. Go on his Bandcamp. Joe Davi Bandcamp. I don't know what his address is, but go to his Bandcamp. Uh, you can Google Joe Davi Bandcamp and buy, he has like eight songs. They're 90 cents each. Just buy all of them. Just throw a 10 spot at Joe Davi. You'll, you'll be so... There's so many other things you could waste $10 on instead of Joe Davi's music, and you'll be so much happier with his music. So thank you, as always. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him. So yes, I am t- normally I have a guest, but I'm actually taking uh, your questions uh, tonight, and uh, I'm going to be doing this periodically. Uh, this is a chance to give you, my beloved and precious audience, a chance to ask me, Spike Cohen, questions. This is this is some special one-on-one time or one-on-several-thousand time that you, my audience, get with me, Spike Cohen. It also allows me to not have to book uh, four guests a month, which uh, that can get some, sometimes a little bit uh, a little bit harried. And, and so I am just pulling up my questions here, and apparently I'm getting more questions. Also... Nestrovia, that was the that was the that was the greeting. Nestrovia, everybody. Um, and so I'm going to, in addition to me answering your questions that you send by comment and that you've already sent previously, I also have a call in. You're going to be able to call me, Spike Cohen. What a joy on a Wednesday evening for you to be able to call me, Spike Cohen. So I'm going to put that number up. That is eight one three six. Four four two seven two two. If you are not in the United States of America, use international code plus one. Plus one eight one three six four four two seven two two. Feel free to call whenever you go in. But I'm going to go ahead and get right into your uh, questions. Uh, let's pull those up. Okay, first question from my friend Tova Schreiber. Schreiber. It's either Schreiber or Schreiber. I am both a terrible friend. And an equally terrible Jew for not knowing how to pronounce that. But I think it's either Schreiber or Schreiber. She said, who is your favorite band slash singer slash musical group? That would have to be Backwards, of course. Um, the wonderful Eric July of Backwards. And uh, why is it telling me I'm logged out? I'm not logged out. Oh, good. I don't know if you can still see me, guys, but I'm being told that I was logged out of Facebook. And I'm logged back in. Don't know if you can see me. Don't know if I think. I don't know. I don't know if you can. Um, one second. This is what happens when you don't have... Matt and I have talked about that we should have a, uh, a, a lackey, um, and we gave him the name Stephen. I'm not sure why, but that we could blame him for this very thing, actually, right now. It says I'm still live. I can't see it, but uh, I believe it. I believe it, and I'm hoping that when I press this, 
I will come right back up. There we go. That would be me. That's me. And I'm still alive. So that's good. Um, good. So that was fun. Uh, so, okay. Uh, who is my favorite? Uh, Tova asked, who is my favorite? Uh, I never left. I'd never leave. Exactly. I didn't think I left. I just thought I had left. Um, who's my favorite band slash singer slash musical group? Definitely backwards. Eric July, uh, being libertarian, uh, backwards is definitely my favorite group. My favorite musical artist besides Eric July is MF Doom, who is a rapper that only I and like 400 other people have heard of. And that's, I'm okay with that. Um, but if you look him up, MF Doom, he, uh, he's been around for, man, 20 years, I'd say rapping. And no, more than that now, almost 25. And he is, uh, he's just, a, he's, he is, in my mind, the best MC. And it sucks because he also is very elusive and rarely tours and rarely produces new music. But he's, in my mind, the most talented artist out there. So thank you, Tova, for that question. Jeff Smith Sr. asked me the poignant question. If tin whistles are made of tin... What is baby food made of? Hey, thanks, Jeff. Strained peas. I don't really know what... Ba I don't have a child, so I don't know what baby food made of. Is made oh, I'm supposed to say babies because... Um, Rhonda Crow. The beautiful Rhonda Crow asked me, Tell me a story from your childhood. Something, someone, an event that made a lasting, strong impression and how it influences you today. Well, Rhonda, you may not know this, but I didn't prepare for these questions at all. Um, oh, so I, shortly after my bar mitzvah, so I was 13, my father, who's also my rabbi, uh, informed me that now that I was a man, I needed to know that it was important to please my wife. I believe he said sexually, but I think he just said, please your wife, but it was kind of implied. He said it was important to please my wife because if I didn't, she would eventually leave me and teach our children to hate me and that it would be my fault. And I'll tell you something, guys. I was 13 and uh, I didn't have anyone I was even thinking of marrying, but uh, that stuck with me. And I, I hope that if I have children one day, they won't be taught to hate me. Put it that way. So that's, uh, that would answer that question. Because that definitely stuck with me and made a lasting impression. Um, some would call that child abuse, but I don't know what to tell you. Um, okay, my good friend Wendy Onstead, Onstead, uh, Onstead asked me, Okay, how do I get to hear this show? Well, Wendy, thank you so much for asking that. Uh, we stream live uh, to Facebook. And to YouTube now, we now are uh, streaming to YouTube, Facebook, and YouTube. In addition, uh, all recordings of our show are available also in audio for podcasting purposes on SoundCloud. SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com. We also are working on a Patreon where you can pay me for this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I, I guess uh, and we'll have... Uh, special content for people that give me a dollar a month. But we're not doing that yet. Uh, right now it's Facebook, SoundCloud, uh, and YouTube. And um, I guess if you're, I didn't really think of this, but if you're listening to this, I guess you um, 
You know, it's a good question. Rhonda asks another question. Also, what do you think of Trudeau and Islamic Jihad in North America? Muhammad, I'm glad you tuned in because uh, this is this is this is a good one. Um, so uh, she's talking about Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, and presumably his. Uh, there are many that believe he is appeasing violent radical jihad. Now, I don't really have in North America specifically, I don't really have a lot to, good to say about Justin Trudeau because he's basically a socialist and uh, kind of is a smarmy uh, omega male, something, whatever below is below omega um, zeta, zeta male. I don't know my, my Roman alphabet like I should, but he's, he's down there. And um, I'm not a fan of his. Very... I remember one time he was he was uh, doing like a town hall or speech or something, and someone asked him a question, and they mentioned the word you know mankind, uh, you know uh, uh, great contributions to mankind, and he stopped this person while they were talking and said, no no no, excuse me, uh, we call that humankind now, we don't we don't gender we don't gender the kind anymore, and uh, that kind of sums up kind of sums up how I feel about Justin Trudeau. Um, specifically when it comes to radical Islamic jihad in Canada. So this is one of those interesting things where I think both sides are wrong. Really the only person that's right is, is, is me. Uh, but so the left wants to pretend that there aren't they want to pretend that you know Islamic jihad that 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 you know radical fundamentalist Muslims who want to destroy everyone who isn't also a radical fundamentalist Muslim, including every other Muslim that isn't like them, because the vast majority of victims of Islamic Jihad are Muslims, by the way. Um, but they want to kind of pretend either they don't exist or that there's only four of them and that they're not really... Uh... One person? Yeah. Uh... Oh, hum person. <laughs> um, they want to pretend that that's not a thing. And, and I'm not 100% sure why that is. I, I think they're just sort of this, um, sort of whatever the right says exists, they say doesn't exist at all. Um, sort of a knee-jerk thing. And then the right wants to make it this presumption that all or a, you know, the majority or, or a very large plurality of Muslims are just ready to kick down all of our doors and, you know, murder us for the crime of not being Muslim. And just looking at, in my mind, common sense, if 1.7 billion or however many Muslims are, you know, just south of 2 billion Muslims, if even 20% of them truly wanted to massacre all of us, uh, then I think we'd be massacred at this point. I don't know about you. I mean, especially you think of a Justin Trudeau, they're kicking down his door and he's going, don't gender me. And, you know, I mean... I think when you think of how effet the West has become and sort of passive in terms of of just everyday life, I, I don't think that uh, I don't think it would be hard for whatever twenty percent of two you know two hundred and fifty million however many Muslims that would three hundred twenty million Muslims to massacre everyone. I don't think that would be difficult. Um, and so I, I think if you look at the history of 
the Islamic world. First of all, at one point, the Muslim world was actually more modern and advanced than the quote-unquote Christian world. Um, but, but even putting that aside in more, in more recent times, you have two factors here. One is that you have the Saudi royal kingdom, uh, who is financed by U.S. petrodollars, uh, to, um, who, who's sort of financing uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and, and other groups like that, sort of to destabilize the rest of the Middle East and to push forward their version of, 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 of Islam, which is Wahhabism, which is a more uh, fundamentalist and extremist version of Islam. Um, if you can think of, I guess, the Westboro Baptist Church and also their shooting people, that would be what Wahhabism is. I, obviously, I'm not, I'm not getting too deep into, into the theological differences with Wahhabism, but they're very extremist and they're very violent. And again, they have zero, to them, a Muslim who is not also a Wahhabist is every bit as much the enemy as a Christian atheist, uh, uh, you know, whatever, um, Jew. Uh, and so in that, in, in that regard, so that's, that, so the Saudi royal kingdom is, is part there. Only recently have they started to realize the monster they've helped to create, and now they're kind of pushing back and, and you know, fighting against it. Great job, guys. And then you have uh, foreign powers, the U.S., Russia, mostly the U.S. and Russia, but also the, the NATO powers and uh, other powers that um, that are both indirectly and directly helping with the creation of and, and, and recruitment for these groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda and, and um, Islamic Jihad and things like that. Um, the, the, some is directly, for example, the Al-Qaeda started from the Mujahideen that, um, that Ronald Reagan, and I think it actually started with Carter, but I may be wrong with that, that he financed when they were, uh, that they financed, trained, and, and funded to fight the Russians in Afghanistan. That blew back uh, when, uh, when the Mujahideen became Al-Qaeda, and then they got upset that the, the U.S. was uh, invading, uh, was uh, occupying Saudi Arabia and Kuwait to fight in Iraq in the 90s. Uh, during Desert Storm, and then that turned into Al Qaeda, and then that that whole thing happened, um, and that led led to the first World Trade Center bombing, and then 9/11, and all of that. Uh, then you get into um, ISIS, which started as groups that were initially funded and 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 trained and armed by the U.S. government again to fight against uh, the uh, I believe against the Shia um, uh, the Shia uh, uh, militias that were in Iraq. And uh, also, they were some front groups that were in Syria fighting against Bashar Assad, the, the president of Iraq, the dictator of Iraq, or uh, Syria. And so, you know, uh, Milton Friedman, who is, uh, he's a Chicago school economist, but he'll do. Uh, Milton Friedman said, if you subsidize apples, you get more apples. Uh, if you subsidize, and he used the example of, of poverty, you'll get more poverty. Well, if you subsidize radical Islamic jihad, guess what? Uh, so that's the direct uh, way that the, uh, the U.S. government and, and other other powers fund uh, fund and create and, and recruit for radical Islamic jihad. The other way that they do it is through their actions. There is such a thing as blowback. I want you to imagine for a moment if you knew that, for example, China uh, was just you know routinely bombing the U.S. and that there was uh, that the U.S. government was either unable or unwilling to do anything about it. And so, you know, if it turned out that someone that, they, you know, an anti-Chinese person uh, lived near you, you might die or one of your loved ones might die. That feeling of fear, uh, powerlessness, knowing that every time you hear an airplane, it could be followed by a missile. Um, I don't think we have any concept, even I who try to think of what that's like, we have zero concept of what's that, what that's like, what that would do to our lives, what how that would affect our day-to-day -day 
you know, how we operate and, and, and how we think, the amount of resentment that that causes is a direct, that's a direct consequence of that is recruitment for Al-Qaeda. So if you're someone who has been raised watching this happen, perfect example, look at the number of people, younger people, uh, early 20s, late teens, who signed up for the military as soon as 9-11 as happened. They could have been thousands of miles away, but they were so outraged by it that they wanted to join the military uh, in order to fight back. Well, guess what? That was 3,000 people in one in one attack. It's a horrific attack. I'm, I'm certainly, I mean, it was a terrible, terrible attack. That was blowback from one attack. Imagine if a 9-11 happened every few months or much smaller versions of 9-11. Imagine if every few weeks, month or two, or actually every few days in some cases, a few hundred Americans died, most or many of whom were civilians. And, you know, occasionally you'd hear of, and again, when it's that happening that often, now it's not just some random person in New York that you have no connection to or DC that you have no, that you may or may not have a connection to. Now it's your cousin had a friend who knew someone, or it might be your cousin's friend, or it might be your cousin, or it might be someone even closer to you. And so what we're seeing in the Islamic world is is a direct result of both indirect and direct subsidization and blowback from foreign government policy combined with subsidization from the Saudi Royal Kingdom and other groups combined with the fact that in any religion you're going to have some uh, creeps. And all of those things combined create what we're seeing uh, with, with that. So that's I hope that that's answered that question. Um, so both sides are wrong. The right... Uh, needs to realize why it's happening, and the left needs to realize that it's happening. Um, Richard Herschel Griffin. Ricky Herschel asked me, where have you had the best chicken and waffles of your life? This is arguably the most poignant question that I'm going to answer today. Um, At home is the best place. Every time I have gone out and gotten chicken and waffles, at best, it was half as good as the chicken and waffles that I have had in my own home that I've made myself by frying my own chicken and cooking my own waffles and putting it together a little bit of hot sauce maybe a little bit of syrup that's that's the best I even when I was in Toronto I was told that there were these this was four or five years ago I was told that there were these really you know hoity-toity places uh, that, that did chicken and waffles I tried the chicken and waffles oh and it was expensive too Okay, I was paying something like 30 bucks American, 25 bucks American for chicken and waffles. And it was not as good at home as home. It really wasn't just, it wasn't good. It actually just wasn't good at all, even compared to home. So yes, that would definitely be where the best chicken and waffles are, is in my home, cooked by me, Spike Cohen. Let's see, next question. Aaron Goss asks, how do you deal with the fact that half or more of your fellow citizens think that murdering unarmed refugees for crossing an imaginary line in the dirt? How can you have any faith in the idea of America? How do you channel your anger in a productive way? So there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot to unpack there. Liz, you are correct. If you want the best chicken and waffles, well, not, I mean, my, I didn't wasn't trying to be salacious there. The best chicken and waffles are, are in this, in my dwelling with me, Spike Cohen. So Aaron, there's a lot of stuff there. First of all, Aaron's referencing, there was a poll on some political page where they said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, 
um, if you were, um, you know, if uh, I'm going to butcher this question, but basically referencing this 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 care of so-called caravan of Hondurans that are, are slowly making their way to the U.S. Uh, supposedly, um, and the, the question was something along the lines of if you know several thousand men, women, and children were trying to enter you know the U.S. border, uh, would you authorize the military to use lethal force against them? And and at one point. It was something like 64% said yes, um, and I think I think when it was finally done, or it may not even be finalized, but last time I looked, it was actually the majority said no. But but even more chilling than you know the data there were some of the answers that people had, and we all know people like this. Some of you might be people like this who talk about you know fantasize about putting landmines on the border and blowing up Mexicans and and you know shooting anyone on sight and flamethrowers and moats with alligators and you know all of this fun stuff because some uh, brown people want to uh, walk across an area. Um, so first part of that, how do I deal with that? Um, Aaron, um, and, and you referenced this and we did some back and forth talking uh, by messenger. These are the same people that, you know, have, have largely made peace with the fact that, you know, the U.S. military is engaging in a, in a mass murder campaign that's been going on since before most of us were born. And uh, many of us are okay with it and actually, you know, enjoy it and, you know, make excuses for it and explain how, you know, we're killing off the, the rag people or the mud people or whatever. So I, I just, um, you know, keep in mind that, that this result or even the fact that a large number, even if it's a minority, even a large group of Americans and people in general uh, want that uh, to happen is not surprising me for two reasons. First of all, there are a lot of really um, angry and violent people who are also misinformed and have been conditioned to hate strangers, especially strangers that are, are born on the other side of, of the line, uh, my borders. Um, so that's the first part of that. The second part is, uh, if you take even some very smart people and put them in a group of 50, eh, not 50, a group of 5,000, that group is not gonna be as smart as the sum of its parts. It's gonna get dumb, and the bigger that group gets, the dumber and the more the more it's going to appeal to whatever the lowest common denominator is within that group. Once that voting block or group is in the millions, you are now talking about the stupidest thing, that organization entity that you can think of, which is the democratic process, um, which is just a bunch of uh, people who form into these increasingly stupid groups to fight against other people who are also in these increasingly stupid groups, while they all unironically say that we're one nation under God. Uh, indivisible, uh, but we fight each other all day and hate each other. So that would answer that. Is that I, I, I've dealt with that by recognizing recognizing that that that's the reality. That's the reality of power. We are in forced association with each other. So our nation, our one nation under God, is actually uh, several hundred million people, something like 320 million people, who are forced to be together. If you think of the other 300 and some odd million people in this country, if you had to volunteer, choose whether to voluntarily associate with those people, the vast, vast majority, you would never be caught dead associating with. These are the people that, you know, yeah, you know, they're not, and it's not even that you hate them, it's just they're not into my thing, I'm not into their thing. I'll be friendly with them if I see them somewhere. And then there are people you actually hate. The vast majority of people you're not going to voluntarily associate with. And what the state is, what the, what, what the America is, or Canada, or, or any, any country is, is really a state, a government, 
that forces all of us into association with each other solely for the purpose of using us as tax revenue cattle so that they can take that revenue and use for their aims to grow and entrench their own political power. That's it. That's that's the entirety. If you if you break down when you say, "Oh, we have to stick together." Why? Well, you know, we have to we have to we have to be a strong nation. Why? What is that doing for you? What is the taxes that they take from you doing for you? What is the rules and regulations that they subjugate you to doing for you? What is the the, the politicians that you universally hate? Whether you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, I know that you hate most politicians. I know it. What do you get from that? What do you get from that theft? You don't get anything. This is a, a no different than you know the pimp who's convinced his hoes we're better if we stick together. Why? Well, if you don't, I'll beat you. That's the answer. Abraham Lincoln gave us the answer of why we're still together. Because if you try to leave, I'll kill all of you. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's that's why we're in that forced association. And then what happens? So. We're all resentful of that forced association. We all deep down know that we don't want to be a part of this. We don't like those people over there. We don't like those people over there. We wish they'd leave us alone. And so we're told you can't leave. You can't opt out. You have to pay your taxes. You have to follow the rules. You have to do this. You have to do that. The only way that you can leave the union is to physically leave the country. And you also have to pay a lot of taxes to do that. You have to pay a lot of fees and taxes to even do that. But you can take your anger and you can passive-aggressively use violence by proxy by voting to harm those people that you don't like, whether they're the Democrats or the Republicans or the gays or the whites or the blacks or the Christians or the Muslims, or especially, and this is where we can all get together, the foreigners, those dirty, savage foreigners. And if they want to come here, they have to go through our increasingly draconian legal process that we ourselves would fail if we tried to do it. Um, and so that's what happens is that, you know, it is, you are taking people's hatred and fear of each other and you are using it. You're, you're telling them the only option that they have to, to focus that energy is to form voting blocks and try to basically use the mob rule process of democracy to use, to basically inflict damage and violence by proxy through the police, through the military, against people you don't like, whether they're here or in other countries. So that that's that's why that is. So how can you have any faith in the idea of America? I don't. I don't have the faith any faith in any idea of any statist system. Any system that relies on forced toxic codependency, whether it's a, a family that's you know held together by addiction or you know a, an abusive relationship or a, a country that's held together by a government that's threatening to murder everyone. I don't have any faith in any of that. That's what this entire show is about. Um, so that's the answer to that. Um, then the other part of uh, how can you, how do you channel your anger in a productive way? Aaron, I'm, I'm considerably past anger at this point. Um, and I'm past jaded. I've now embraced pure stoicism where I just know what's going to happen. I, I'm not particularly, I think if I, if I were convinced that there were a path to channel my frustration into a way to get the masses to embrace freedom, I would be very involved in the Libertarian Party or the Republican Liberty Caucus or something like that. I don't. I have this show because uh, uh, it's something fun to do, and I think that there are like-minded people out there that'll listen, and I think there are people out there that will listen who think, 
oh, you know what, maybe he's right and they'll listen and they can agree or not agree. But I, I don't think I'm going to be starting a movement. I don't think that a movement can be. And here's why. The vast majority of people want to control the actions of others. And it's, unfortunately, it's possibly human nature. Some would say it's conditioning from bad parenting and, you know, public schooling in the state. I, I, I don't have an answer for that, whether that's human nature or conditioning or both. It is what it is. We all want to be free. We all want to be left alone to do what we want to do. That's not the problem. I can convince people all day that, you know, you should be free. That's not the hard part. The hard part is then telling them, you know, that person over there that you hate, who's doing things that diametrically go against everything you believe, they're free to do that too, so long as they leave you alone. Whether it's, and, and I'm using a, 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 a conservative. I'm using an example of the conservative. Okay, great. You want to be free to worship your your God and to, uh, you know, to not have to pay, you know, taxes and to not have to finance other people's welfare and to only give when you want to give to charity. Absolutely. That's all good stuff. But now tell that person. And, and I'm, 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 I'm somewhat stereotyping all conservatives. There are plenty of gay friendly conservatives and Muslim friendly conservatives. I'm, I'm speaking of conservatives conservative thought in aggregate, everything from, you know, right of center people who voted for Lindsey Graham, all the way to the alt right and everything in between. So I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat grouping together. So if you just want to take the worst examples of this, that gay person also has the right to be gay, that trans person also has the right to say that, you know, even if they were biologically born a male, to say that they're a female or to say that they're 15 different genders, and to ask you to, to say those genders. To, to use their preferred pro pronoun. Now, they don't have a right to make you do it, but they have a right to ask for it. And if you say that, oh, no, well, you were born a man, you're a man, they can call you a bigot and walk away, and there's not anything you can do about that. And that Muslim can, you know, worship five times a day, you know, pointed to Mecca, and they can, you know, uh, say that they don't want to serve you alcohol, and they can, you know, do whatever else they want to do. And you have to be okay with that. And here's a big one. That illegal, who's not following my laws, has every human natural right to go wherever they're welcome. If I have a piece of property and I'm willing to host or house or hire them on my property, that's none of anyone else's business except me and the other parties directly involved in that. No, they shouldn't be on welfare. No one should be on welfare. So that's a good reason to get rid of welfare. It's not a good reason to tell someone that they're not allowed to cross a line. And if we're going to talk about the legal process, let's talk about your commitment to the legal process. So here's, here's a fun one. So I'm told all the time, well, if they're going to do it, do it the legal way. Do it the gosh darn legal way because that's what this country was founded on. It wasn't. It was actually founded on violent rebellion. But, but let's, let's, let's go with that. You know, the legal process. You need to go through the legal process. Let's talk about your commitment to the legal process. Prove to me that you are committed to the legal process by telling yourself right now, I can't hear you, but by telling yourself right now that if you had been alive in the 1860s, 1850s, that you would have been okay with a slave that was fleeing their owner, being captured by federal authorities, taken back to their, uh, to their owners, and then killed, hanged for the crime of leaving. Because that was the law. That was the, 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 the legal process of becoming not a slave anymore. There wasn't one. Now, if you could get to Canada, 
Now you were in Canada where slavery was illegal and they didn't recognize any of that. Now it was legal, but you had to be illegal for about a thousand miles, 1500 miles, depending on where you were to get there. Completely illegal. I'm not comparing illegal immigration to slavery. I am comparing, I am testing your commitment to the rule of law. Tell me that you are committed to the rule of law by never speeding ever again, by never running a traffic light ever again. It's three in the morning, you're coming up to a stop sign, you can see in every single direction. You still come to a complete stop and wait one or two seconds. Tell me that that's what you do every single time. Tell me that you have never once, someone gave you $50 and you didn't report it to the IRS. Tell me that you've never done that. If you can't tell me those things, tell me that if you had been in Germany in the 1930s, uh, that you would have turned in every Jew around you because it was illegal to be Jewish and not be in an internment camp where they were a lot of them later, most of them later murdered. But that was the legal process and resisting it was illegal. If you cannot tell me each of those things that you've never sped, that you've never failed to report a $25 income to the IRS, that you've never you know, that, that if you've been alive during those times that you would have turned in Jews and, 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 and fleeing slaves. If you can't tell me that, then your commitment to the legal process is every bit as situational as that of the illegals. You decide, as every other human being on earth does, you decide what laws you are committed to, what laws you aren't committed to, what ones you're going to obey, and what ones you aren't going to obey, and you do it entirely based on perceived self-interest. And there's nothing wrong with this. This is human nature. We're so conditioned to believe, oh, you follow the law because it's the right thing to do. No, it's not. There are some horrific, terrible laws now and, and in the past. And in the future, there will be even more terrible laws, I'm sure. It's not virtuous in and of itself to obey something just because a politician wrote it on a sheet of paper and a police officer tells you that they'll harm you if you don't obey it. That's not virtuous in and of itself. It's not good to not commit murder because murder is illegal. If murder was made legal tomorrow, it would still be wrong to commit murder. It is not morally right or wrong based on legality. That is a secondary issue. We obey or disobey laws based on whether we agree with them or not, and whether we perceive that we can get away with it or not. Or if we think that the consequences of disobeying it are less than the consequences, consequences of obeying it. That is our commitment to the law. That's true of the illegals, guys. So when you say go through the legal process, say it to yourself. Because that's the reality of the legal process, is that you care about the legal process. The reason you're telling illegals to commit to the legal process is because you like that particular legal process. And more than likely, the reason you, commit, you, you uh, are committed to that legal process is because you're either not affected by it, or because you went through it yourself. There's a lot of people like that who, you know, well, I went through it and they should have to go through it too. Why? There are a lot of terrible situations that people went through. Imagine someone saying, I was wrongfully convicted for murder. Everyone else should be too. Why? I went through the legal process with, with my wife immigrating her here. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. It's none of my business. Do you want to come here? Go where you're welcome. And, and, and here's the other thing. Then I'm told, well, they don't pay taxes and they don't become citizens and they don't join into the American... Stop making me like illegals, guys. Because um, 
that's kind of the anarcho-capitalist dream is a bunch of people who don't submit to authority and uh, don't pay taxes. And, uh, you know, that sounds great. Uh, we should all aspire to be like the illegals in that regard. Um, and then when you factor in and there's all these statistics that illegals are less likely to commit violent crime than the average American, they're far less likely to end up on any kind of entitlement programs than the average American. I mean, there's, 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 I have not seen a compelling reason. Exactly. Thank you. I know. I have not seen a compelling reason for me to tell someone that because there's a line in the sand and because the government, an organization that has done me and everyone else here far more financial and, 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 and lifestyle harm than any illegal ever has, that because they put that line there that I expect them to obey it. Because the reality is if I were in their situation, I wouldn't obey it either. And neither would you. And that's the reality. For the same reason that you speed when you can get away with it. Because they perceive that that is the best thing for them. Matt mentioned many do pay taxes because they have fake social security numbers. They are contributing to the coffers. You're making me like them a little less, Matt. But anyway, uh, but it's true. I mean, there, there's actually statistics on that. There's there's data on that, that illegals actually put more into the system than they take out because a lot of them are required. So they get these fake social security numbers. They use someone else's. And so they're contributing into a system that they will more than likely never get from. Guess, you know, if you want to keep social security solvent, Bring them on in. I, you know, and that's that's the the that's the reality. If your argument against illegals coming is they're going to vote for the party I don't like, that's an argument against democracy. The arguments against illegal immigration are almost always either based on fear, irrational fear, or they're based on not liking welfare. They're going to get on welfare. Good, abolish all welfare. I don't think anyone should get welfare. I don't want to pay for anyone's welfare. I will voluntarily contribute to charity, but welfare is a wealth-destroying program that encourages uh, uh, poor behaviors that result in poverty. They are subsidizing poverty. I don't want to subsidize poverty for anyone. I don't want to subsidize poverty for someone who just got here from Honduras. I don't want to subsidize poverty for your cousin. I don't give a damn. It's none of my business. That's a great argument against welfare. It is not an argument against illegals coming. If your argument is they're going to join the voting block that I disagree with and vote for the party against, again, that's forced association. You are deciding that because you are in forced association with a bunch of strangers, most of whom you either have little to do with and would just as soon not have anything to do with them, or you outright hate. While, again, talking about how we're all one nation under God. We're not one nation. We're certainly not under God. Yes, exactly. I don't think that was my phone. Who's in here? Anyway, um... So that's, you know, again, that's that's forced association. So the, the, the arguments against illegal immigration always, almost always boil down to something that has nothing to do with the actual thing of them coming here. The other argument is they're taking our jobs. Here's a fun thing that's going to make all of you like me. You don't own your job. Your employer does. If your employer perceives that uh, they would do better with another employee... They have every right to seek out that employee. Now, if you have some kind of contract with them or something like that, then that's another thing. You're, you're contractually, they're contractually obligated to work with you or whatever else. But zero-sum economics tells us that if someone gives something to someone else, then we, that someone else has to lose. Obviously, in that one particular situation, you losing your job to an illegal or to an illegal. 
I mean, you know, you could just as easily say, I support abortion on demand, but, you know, mandated abortion for all future children because these children are being born and becoming adults and taking our jobs. That is every bit the same argument. I don't want more people to exist around me because they might take something that I'm benefiting from. Before we get into the whole idea of where are you at in life that you're risking losing your job to someone who just got here who can't speak English, putting that aside, it's not your job, it belongs to the employer. I'm gonna make a lot of friends with this one. It's not your job, it belongs to the employer. Um, the reality of economics is that when money is allowed to find uh, uh, its, its own level, like water, when, uh, when supply and demand are allowed to uh, meet each other with, with minimal outside interference, overall we all get better outcomes and that includes with illegals so i think i've dealt with that question pretty pretty well oh so how do you channel your anger by the fact that i'm not angry anymore most people want to control others and there's a lot of uh internal reasons for that and um there's nothing i can do other than to just say what i'm doing right now and i'm not mad about it and i'm i'm privileged to the fact that that doesn't affect me which allows me not to be mad about it i, I get angry about it but it's in the abstract so some of it's because I'm a privileged white male. Guys, H. George Vanderveer asks, at this point in the lottery, oh, okay, so this is before the lottery. At this point in the lottery, isn't it a wise investment for some billionaire to simply buy every possible number combination with a 303 million to one possibility and still get a positive return on their investment? Yes, if also no one else plays the lottery. Because if even one other person gets that, uh, I guess if yeah, if, if one other person gets that um, that same combination, then then you've lost your money, or you've only broken even. If two other people get it, if two other people get it, then you uh, then you lose money. Other than that, it's a great idea. Barbara D'Antoni, my adopted aunt Barbara. I adopted her, uh, asked me, who is your favorite rabbi? So my father, Harvey Cohen, is a rabbi. So by default, he is my favorite rabbi because if he didn't exist, I wouldn't exist. And so he's my favorite rabbi. Outside of my own flesh and blood, I would say my next favorite rabbi is Rabbi Hillel, which some of you will say that's a cop-out answer. Well, screw you. It's not a cop-out. Rabbi Hillel was instrumental in the creation of the Talmud. He's uh, credited with the creation of the Golden Rule. He is credited with saying that, and again, I'm gonna butcher these quotes. I need to start writing down quotes when I'm gonna quote people, but basically that, uh, you know, be kind to others, um, that which you uh, hate, uh, don't do to others. Uh, the rest of uh, scripture is just instruction on, or just details. Instruct. No, I think it's instruction. Yeah. So you have to go with Hillel. I have to go with Hillel uh, as my second favorite rabbi. My favorite non-directly uh, blood-related rabbi. Unless he's a Cohen, in which case he is my second favorite blood-related rabbi. Very possible. A lot of rabbis, Cohens. Christopher Stapleton. What about Mo Rhodes? That's a great point. I'm no longer a libertarian because of that question. Thank you. No, so he's referencing the, uh, so 
when you start becoming a libertarian, when you start telling people that you're a libertarian, and especially when you're a, a radical fundamentalist libertarian like me, and you, you put out some crazy opinions like I do, you st the, the, the two most common, or the three most, well, I guess not, it's probably two most common responses are, well, without government, who would provide, and they start naming off things, usually the roads is in there, sometimes schools are in there, they'll name off the, the fire department, they'll name off these things, and, and, and the short answer to that is um, those things are a service, they're necessary, and just like any other necessary service, if someone needs them, then they can contract to get those services, whether they're paying per service or they pay some kind of monthly plan to get services. And I can guarantee you that it will be both less costly and more efficient for them to get these services from competing providers than from them, than from them to get them from a government. So basic economics tells us that there are two ways you can get a service. One is through competing providers who are, you know, tripping over themselves to provide you with a service. The other way to get it is from a monopoly who has effectively shut out all other competition. And they really don't have to give you good service and they don't have to give you a good value because you have to go with them. That you're, they're, they're all that's available. Government is not just a monopoly. They are a violent monopoly that is funded by theft and enforced, their, their monopoly is enforced with kidnapping, murder, and threats of kidnapping and murder. The idea that we could get services better from a violent monopoly that threatens to harm us every day, that we could get that better than from competing providers who are tripping over themselves to give us the best value, I, uh, I have to disagree. I respectfully disagree. Um, so that answers that question. And the, the other thing that people will say when you start getting into, uh, you know, especially if you're a radical libertarian like me, if you're if you're like an anarcho-capitalist libertarian, sometimes if you're, you know, you just want government to be smaller, you can get away with it. But if you really, if you're saying there's no reason for government and we'd all do better in voluntary association with each other, then the next most common response, or I guess it's about 50-50, the next response is always, well, you know, if you don't like it here, you can leave. And they often say, why don't you go to Somalia? And that seems to be universal, that Somalia or North Korea, I've recently been getting that. North Korea, the communist dictatorship, uh, is where I should go if I want less government. Um, and so, so and, but they bring up Somalia because in the, uh, I guess in the statist mind, in the, in the regular conditioning mind, we're told that Somalia is an example of anarchy, which is interesting. Because Somalia was ruled by colonists, French colonists for many years, actually, I think over a century, then they were ruled by communists who finished destroying what was left of the country. Then they were ruled by essentially a bunch of terrorist warlords, radical uh, Islamic terrorist warlords. Uh, and now, uh, since then, they have been ruled uh, under the uh, a UN provisional government um, that is heavily uh, overseen by the African Union, uh, by uh, the UN, um, there's a lot of outside involvement uh, from the U.S. and other countries. Um, so Somalia is actually peak statism. Somalia is the, is the end result of no market, no voluntary market activity and nothing. The only activity happening, the only services being provided, the only major movements happening are entirely by coercive entities who have zero interest in serving you and want only to subjugate and harm you. That's statism. That is an anarchy.
Um, so uh, that's my response to those things. I often just don't respond to those things. That's not true. I respond every time. So those were my previous questions. And again, if anyone feels like calling in, 813-644-2722. Oh, uh, one more question. Uh, Julia Rygard asks, what information do you have on Hillary Clinton? Which seemed like a threat. So the joke is that um, whenever someone dies, uh, even if it's from old age, uh, people will go, you know, so like when, um, who's someone that died recently? I don't know, when Harambe got killed. When Harambe got killed, people were saying, you know, what did Harambe know about Hillary Clinton, the, the Clinton Foundation? Because the joke is that uh, there are a lot of people who have who have known the Clintons and either were about to testify or seemed like they were going to testify. Suddenly they died for no reason. Uh, they committed suicide twice in the back of the head. Um, and so, um, so I'm not, so what information? I don't have any information on Hillary Clinton. Actually, that's not true. Here's some information I have. There was an article recently that says Hillary Clinton is almost assuredly going to run for president in 2020. So if you're uh, someone who's against Trump, and, and for the record, I'm against Trump for the same reason I was against Obama, for the same reason I was against Bush, for the same reason that I was against insert your favorite politician into your brain right now, I'm against that person every bit as much as I am uh, because of everything I've been talking about. Um, and Donald Trump is no different than that uh, other than he's also... Uh, he doesn't sugarcoat it and he doesn't uh, play games with it, uh, which is kind of refreshing in a way. But, uh, uh, but so I'm definitely not pro-Trump, but I'm also not pro anyone that would run against Trump. Um, if you want Trump to lose, Hillary Clinton is arguably the last person that you would want to run against Donald Trump. She's already lost once. Nothing has happened that has endeared her more to the public. And in fact, I have a lot of friends on the far left. I have a very eclectic friends list. Everything from, you know, people that are soft on the alt-right all the way to, you know, communists and, you know, all different stripes of anarchists and Republicans and Democrats of all different creeds and colors and uh, a lot of, you know, democratic socialists and everything else. I know maybe three people that have more positive than negative things to say about Hillary Clinton, which, by the way, why she lost. Donald Trump was not, you know, people, well, Donald Trump's not popular. He wasn't popular in 2016 either. And they'll say, well, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. We're going to have the Electoral College in 2020, just like we haven't had it in 2016 and just like we have it now. You can win all the, you know, you can get any Democrat to rack up massive leads in major urban centers in New York and California and um, uh, and, and uh, um, Chicago, Illinois and um, and in, in parts of Texas, even though overall Texas still usually goes red, uh, goes Republican. Uh, and then you'll also, um, you know, you, you, so you, you can rack up, you know, a bunch of, you know, wins in the top four or five cities. If you still lose the majority of the states the vast majority of the states, you lose. Because that's the that's the system. That's that one nation under God that you keep talking about. So it is what it is. And uh, a, 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 a popular vote, if we were to switch to a popular vote system, you would see a massive secession movement from smaller states because why would they want to be part of 
a system whereby their vote is immediately canceled out by the fact that there's a city somewhere else that has more people than their entire state. Why would why would they want to be a part of that? Other than they'd all be killed in a civil war if they were made to leave. But if you have enough states that want to leave, that's not a good threat anymore. So, yeah, Hillary Clinton, if you want Hillary Clinton to... Uh, so that's the information I have on Hillary Clinton, is that if she ran again in 2020, she would lose... Uh, probably she'd possibly even lose the popular vote. There's a chance she'd lose the popular vote if uh, if she ran again. Uh, there's a saying in boxing. I don't know if it's in MMA too, but if 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 a guy loses a fight by knockout and there's a rematch, it's probably going to go the exact same way, only quicker. Um, and that's that's borne out more often than not. Every once in a while, you know, you have a, a come from behind story. But the reality of electoral politics is that nothing has changed vis-a-vis -vis Hillary Clinton, and no one hates Donald Trump more than they did in 2016. And that's going to be a hard one for some of you to hear because you're convinced. I hear you. I hear you guys posting out there. Oh, Donald Trump, America's waking up. No, the hell they aren't. If they liked Donald Trump in 2016, they like Donald Trump now. If they didn't like Donald Trump in 2016, they don't like him now. And if they were somewhere in the middle, now he's normalized. He's normalized, guys. Before, he was kind of like, holy crap, what is this? Is this going to be our president? Now we're, at that point, three years in of that being normal. Of this being normal. Think about previous presidents. And imagine if they, for example, got into a Twitter war with the Federal Reserve. Or call the former hooker that they, or a, a, a porn star that they had sex with, and they've committed adultery with, and then gave them hush-up money. And then they call her a horse face. And think about that for a second. That would wreck anyone else's uh, electoral chances. It doesn't wreck Donald Trump's electoral chances because no one's even surprised anymore. They're okay with it. They're not okay with it. Well, some people are okay with it. Some people, they like his policies or they like what he says to them or about them. And so they go, okay, fine, he can call whoever he wants horse face. He says nice things to me. Or I like his policies. Or I like his policies, you know, I like like more of them more than I dislike some of them. You know, overall, I, I, I like more than dislike what he's doing. And then there are people who hated him to begin with. They hated him before he even announced he was running for president. They certainly hated him when he compared, you know, he said that, you know, the people coming across the border are rapists and drug dealers and some of them are okay, I assume. And ever since he said that, they've hated him from the beginning. That probably includes you if you're who I'm talking to. That's, you know, convinced that more people dislike him. Same amount of people dislike him as before. And the people who liked him really like him because he's in power now. And the people in the middle like, dislike. Maybe there's some more that like. Maybe there's some more that dislike. But he's normal now. You can't point to he said this anymore. They already know that. Well, he called her a horse face. Yeah, I know. Well, he did this. Yeah, I know. He was doing that before. So... Donald Trump is short of a, you know, an impeachment or, or something like that, short of him, man, I don't even, like, okay, he gets caught taking bribes. Is that going to change anything? I don't think it is at this point. So, and I, I don't know that he will, but uh, I think that this whole Robert Mueller investigation is entirely overblown. I think that the people who think that there's going to be some smoking gun don't understand the concept of... Uh, of uh, FBI investigations that report to Congress. You're probably never even going to know what the report says. Um, and uh, whatever is leaked 
uh, may or may not have something actionable. But then it's up to the Justice Department to decide whether to move forward on any convictions, which means it is left up to Congress to decide whether to impeach him or not. The Senate is more than likely about to have more Republicans after this election than it does now. So just, and it takes two thirds of, of the Senate to vote to impeach. So that's not gonna happen. Or to vote to, oh, I'm forgetting now, if the House has to vote and then the Senate votes to convict. It's gonna, no one has ever actually gotten convicted by impeachment. So unless he murders someone, Directly, I mean, he murders people every day because he's the president, and so did Obama and every other president before him. But unless he, you know, strangles someone to death or, you know, rapes a puppy on the air or something like that, short of that, he's going to get the same number of votes that he did last time. And Hillary would get less. So, and I don't know who you're going to have run against him besides that. That'll be fun, huh? That'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Um, so that answers that question. Now let's... Let's go through the questions that you have asked while I've been live. Let me come up a little bit because I'm, I'm, I'm essentially lying down now. Uh, what do you think about the grab them by the ballot campaign? Mohammed M. Shaker, my favorite Trump supporting Muslim. Because <laughs> this is 2018. What do you think about the grab him by the ballot campaign? I think that those pictures are are tasteful. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, man, <laughs> how far do I want to go into this? Not that far. Yeah. There is this interesting thing on, it's in politics in general, but especially, by, it, it's usually by whatever major voting movement is out of power. Uh, where they do this sort of uh, martyrdom thing. And in a country where there really aren't any martyrs anymore, we create martyrs around the world, uh, or, or rather our, our government does. But inside the U.S., we are really, we live an incredibly sheltered life. Um, uh, and so when you see these people that especially on the left, who have been conditioned to believe that there is something inherently good in being oppressed and, and struck. There's not something good about being oppressed, but the, the oppressed are inherently good people. It is inherently virtuous to be someone who is being harmed and oppressed, um, which is actually a, a Judeo-Christian ethic, but don't tell them that because they get really upset. Um, but that there's something virtuous in that, that it's, that it's you know, that there's virtue in that. So they start signaling to each other that they're victims. And so I would say grab them, grab them by the ballot is a good example of that. And uh, the imaging was just, for those who don't know, the grab them by the ballot campaign is where they took various women uh, who were naked and had them hold up a sign that said grab them by the ballot. And then it would say other stuff like, you can't grab this, this one, and stuff like that. Um, I don't think it's going to make much of a political change, Mohammed. I don't think that anyone's going to look at that and go, well, you know, I was a Trump supporter. But after seeing this, I, uh, I don't know anymore. I think I might want to vote for Elizabeth Warren. So that's what I think about that. Here's another one. You can't have human without man. 
Hume. Oh, so that's what Hume, Hume person would. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I'm catching up. Don't let this episode distract you from the fact that Napoleon should not have gauged the coalition at Waterloo. Again, Mohammed Shaker. Huge blunder. Equally bad blunder going into the Eastern Front, uh, going to war with Russia during the winter in Russia. Great job, Napoleon. And hey, great job, Hitler, for doing it 100-something years later. Because everything changed then. It wasn't cold in Russia during the winter anymore. Oh, and you're also at war with every other power on Earth, except for Japan. Let's drag Russia into it on their home turf. I want Finland too, which is even further north and even colder. So that's true. I want to know how you misread it. Wendy, if you're still on, I don't know what it is that you're wondering if I misread. Um, Austin Peterson identifies as a he. Correct. Oh. We must go over to Spike for chicken and waffles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Erica says, no, MBF's up my car. I'm not sure that Myrtle Beach... Technically, it's on the way back. So maybe just fly down. And Liz said, fine, I'll drive. See, this worked out. I didn't even have to talk about it. Um, if, we'll, if we build and renovate the wall, would there be more points of entry? Um, from Joshua Zuri. Joshua, if you're still on... So, because I'm going back to some older questions. Josh, the majority of illegals come here legally on a visa and then just... Don't leave when it expires. So, you know, we're given this notion, and there have been times where the majority crossed in, but more often than not, people come legally. Student visa, worker visa, J-1 visa, um, the, they come as a, as a, uh, um, as a, just as a tourist, a tourism visa, and then they just don't leave. So a wall's not going to fix that. Um, and again, this is presuming that this is something to fix. Um, people going where they're, where they're, you know, to properties where they're welcome. And they are welcome because uh, you may not want them here. I'm not saying you, Joshua, but, you know, some people may not want them here. And the government may, may not want them here, but they wouldn't be here if there wasn't someone willing to house them or host them. And probably to hire them for something. So they're welcome to someone, and it's not really anyone else's business. But even if we were to say that it was, a wall, the the insanity of, of the idea that, you know, the U.S. is going to, two of the largest borders on Earth are the U.S.-Canada border and the U.S.-Mexico border. And they traverse, you know, forests and, and mountains and, and, and deserts and rivers and everything else. The idea that it made Great Lakes some of the largest lakes on, on the planet, the idea that there's some effective way to keep anyone from physically entering those areas is laughable to me. And that, and again, that puts aside the fact that most people come here totally legally and, uh, and, and, and just don't leave. Um, Liz and Erica were continuing to talk about how to get here for chicken and waffles. 
Sarah uh, Branion uh, says, that isn't the law today, though. What if I respect the current legal process? For the record, I am not committed. I think the law is BS. I think you answered your own question, Sarah. And, and, and the reality is, if you take someone, even a police officer, even police officers break the law possibly every day. And in fact, there, were all, there, there was uh, an article that talks about how the average American commits X number of felonies per month or per year or whatever. There are so many laws just in the, fel the, the federal, the U.S. Code of Laws. There are tens of thousands of pages of laws and regulations. You don't even know if you're breaking the law right now. You could actively be in open you know, violation of some law that no one else knows about either. So the, the, first of all, the entire concept of the rule of law is so skewed and, and hackneyed to begin with. Second of all, even if it wasn't, even if we only had a, a few laws, Everyone's commitment is to is to their degree of perceived self-interest, including the illegals. They are no different from you. And more than likely, if you were in their position, you would at least be strongly considering doing what they're doing. They perceive it to be in their best interest to do that. And there are people here who are more than willing to welcome them. It is what it is. And, and again, I'm, you can be against them coming here for whatever reason. That, that's your right. You're, you can be against whatever you want. You cannot intellectually, con you cannot be, uh, you cannot say they need to respect the process without being a hypocrite, unless you are also willing to say that you would say the same thing to slaves that were fleeing their owners, or Jews that were fleeing the Holocaust, or Japanese that were fleeing the uh, internment camps during World War II, or uh, U.S. prisoners of war, or the founding fathers who committed treason by declaring independence from the British crown, unless you were willing to say that each and every one of those people needed to have just, just obeyed the law just because it was the law, then I love you very much, but that's a hypocritical position. So that, and, I, and I wasn't calling you a hypocrite, Sarah. I'm just, to those that say that, um, the reality is that your commitment to the law, to the rule of law, is every bit as situational as that of the illegals. Um, so Josh uh, Zuri says, comparison needs to end, past is the past. If politicians are going back to the past in the wrong way to benefit their party, most Americans won't like it. Every politician, Josh, uh, uh, politicians don't give a crap about the law. They, they care about it to the extent that they can control you. That's in all parties. Um, the very second that they perceive a law to be uh, against what they want, they'll violate it or they'll strike it down so that they can do whatever they want. When people tell me about anarchy, what anarchy is is how politicians live. They do what they want. Politicians live largely in anarchy. Not completely, but largely in anarchy. And they impose the government, the state, on you so that they can use your money to fund their wants, needs, and desires. I'm getting a call. This is the first call. I'm getting a call, and I'm going to hopefully be able to answer this correctly. Thanks for calling in to my fellow Americans. Who am I speaking with? Hi, this is uh, Deadpool. I just wanted to say that I'm better in Japanese. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Deadpool. <laughs> What's going on? Domo origato. I don't know what that means. Uh, it means thank you very much. Well, there you go. That's exactly what I wanted to say. I actually don't know your actual name. 
Oh, you don't know Squiggly Line Guy's real name? I do not know Guy Squiggs or Squiggly uh, Line Guy's real name. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Well, you're going to laugh at me. Ready? Yeah. So my name is Kevin Finger. My last name is Finger, and I am the middle child. Thanks for asking. You're the middle finger. That is true. That's a true statement. And that's probably also better in Japanese. It is. It is. <laughs> hey, thanks for calling. Do you have a question for me? Uh, no, I just wanted to say Deadpool is better in Japanese. Deadpool is definitely better in Japanese. Thank you so much for calling Perfect. in. Perfect. Absolutely. Thank you, Spike. Have a great day. Night. Whatever. You too. Guys, Deadpool is always better in Japanese. That's a long-running thing that Kevin, apparently his name is Kevin, has been telling us. And he's right. He's completely right that Deadpool is better in Japanese. Why am I just frozen like that? Oh, that's when I was listening to Kevin. There's a big delay here between what I'm hearing and what you're what you're seeing. Okay, so let's go back to many do pay to ask the big thing. Oh, so Sarah says they can't vote, can they? Referring to illegals. Um, there have been individual examples of immigrants, both legal and illegal, attempting to vote. Uh, I don't believe there's ever been any widespread. I, I know that there have been people who have said that, you know, Obama won in 2012 because of illegals. There's never been any any actual evidence of that. Um, uh, so, uh, I, you know, my, my concern is not illegals voting. Um, my concerns are, are similar. It's welfare and really just welfare. I don't want anyone else on welfare, but that includes your friends and cousins and possibly you. Like, I don't want anyone. And, and again, not you. Sarah, you, America. Um, but that's not a reason for me to tell people to stop having kids. That's a reason for me to say stop welfare. And if government can't stop... So here's another one. So I'm often told well, the government needs to stop allowing illegals to get welfare. I agree. It's actually against the law for illegals to get welfare, and yet they still are. So if government is either too incompetent or too corrupt to stop illegals who are already here from getting on welfare, which should be a fairly reasonable and easy thing to, to stop. If they're not able to, or willing to do that, what makes you think they're going to be able to stop every single person who tries to come here from coming here? Because that's way easier than turning the entirety of the U.S. into a fortress and stopping people from coming here or stopping people who come here legally from, you know, overstaying their, their, their visa, which is, I mean, that is nearly impossible. Um, so you got to have a lot of faith in a government that has given you zero reason to have faith in them, to think that they could even do that if they wanted to, which they clearly don't. Dwayne Lester. Dwayne Lester is going to be my guest, uh, I think next month. Uh, he says, who did them before the government did? I, I presume that Dwayne, that you're talking about the, um, services that we were talking about. So some of these services, you know, government's been around for a long time. Uh, so for example, the, uh, the, 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 my understanding of, for example, the police is that uh, the original police were actually slave patrols, uh, at least in the Western world. Uh, they were, you know, making sure that the, that the, the slaves stayed in line. Um, and uh, in, I guess in the European world, they came out of the, the old feudal uh, enforcers uh, who, you know, made sure that the, the serfs, uh, you know, the, the, not necessarily slaves, but the indentured servants, you know, kept in line. So, you know, is the, are the police a service we want? We certainly want security. We want safety. 
um, we can provide some of that ourselves and we can certainly contract out, you know, security needs if we needed them. But, you know, that's not the majority of what law enforcement does is give people tickets, citations and arrests for violating uh, things that are written on sheets of paper. Um, that's the vast majority of what they do. Uh, most of that, I don't see an argument for that being something that we necessarily need. Um, put it this way. So again, it's a great way to make friends. Talking about law enforcement, we're told, you know, that, you know, the whole, uh, you know, there's only a few bad apples. What about the good cops? Here, here's the thing about, and, and this isn't about individual police officers. This is about the institution of law enforcement itself. In order to be a good police officer, in order to be a good, effective police officer who's doing your job correctly, you have to be willing to enforce the laws, even the ones you don't agree with, because you're not going to agree with all the laws. In order to be a good cop, you don't have to agree with it, but you have to you have to enforce it. And you have to be completely impartial. You have to enforce that against, you know, anyone from a total stranger all the way to your spouse, your, you know, uh, um, parents, your cousins, your siblings, whatever, your best friend. And we're told that's noble. Well, let's put that another way. In order to be an effective and good law enforcement agent, you have to be willing. Oh, and in, in, in order to enforce that, you have to use potentially whatever level of physical force is necessary to bring them into compliance. I mean, hopefully it doesn't come to that. More often than not, it doesn't. The vast majority of people being pulled over ends in them just giving a ticket and everyone saying, have a great day and, and, and going about their day. But the reality is you have to, inf the, the, the police, if this, if the, the, if I, if I get pulled over and I go, I, I don't want to pay this ticket, screw you. And I want to just drive off. They aren't going to go, well, you know, I agree to disagree friend. They, they're they're going to use whatever level of, of, uh, of force to bring me into compliance. So let's put that another way. In order to be a good and effective law enforcement professional, you have to be willing to use whatever level of violence is necessary to bring your closest family, friends, and loved ones into compliance with things that you don't even agree with. I don't see that as something we should say is a noble or virtuous thing. Is protecting someone from harm a noble and virtuous thing? Absolutely. Is, you know, rushing into a building to save someone a virtuous thing? Absolutely. Is stopping a rape a virtuous thing? Absolutely. Is shooting someone because they drove away fast during an attempt to pull them over to see if they were smoking a joint a virtuous thing no but that's their job which is why we get outraged and when the majority of police shootings end with the investigators determining that the police followed all correct you know police you know what is the that they, they complied with you know all police procedures standard police procedures and dealing with that and that's correct more often than not that's correct they're not just covering for them that's their job so is that a necessary service? No, and it's a harmful one. Are there good things that police officers also do? Yes. Do they have to be police officers to do that? No. In a free market where competing providers could provide you with something like, for example, security, safety, enforcement of voluntarily agreed upon codes, could that be done without all of the other stuff? Yeah. 
are firefighters able to be noble heroes every single day without shooting anyone? Yeah. So that's my thought about that. Um, Joe Gordon, that's why I support her nomination. <laughs> yeah, so if you're a Republican, um, if you're a Republican, honestly, if you're a re Republican, any of the current crop of people is probably someone you'd hope for, but definitely Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump has already proven that he can effectively beat Hillary Clinton. And for all of the things I already laid out, Donald Trump in a rematch with Hillary Clinton would beat her uh, by even more and possibly even win the popular vote. Not because he necessarily would get more votes, but because a lot of people would throw their hands up and go, what in the hell are you doing with the Democratic Party? I'm going to vote Libertarian or I'm going to vote Green or I'm going to vote Republican just to piss you off or I'm going to not vote at all. A lot of them just won't vote, which is that's the ideal situation in a democracy, is for people to stop participating in the mob rule process because it gives them legitimacy. It gives legitimacy to the process. If you have a situation where you know a handful of people are voting, it's no longer legitimate and no one can seriously look at you and say, well, the people have spoken. No, I didn't speak. Or I did speak. I actually screamed loudly in your ear that I don't want to participate in this process and I want nothing to do with it. And that, I think, if there's ever going to be a way to achieve a true stateless society, uh, on my last episode, uh, my guest, Lou Sanders, said, you know, what was the what was the political process for replacing Toys R Us? What was the political process for replacing MySpace? Or, um, I don't know, Blockbuster Video? People just opted out. People said, no, I don't want that. I want something better. Now, a little bit of difference. Uh, Blockbuster didn't point a gun to your head and say you have to use them. Uh, and neither did the government tell you that you had to use Blockbuster. So it's a little bit different, but the reality is that with enough counter-economics and with enough people simply shrugging their shoulders and saying, I'm not going to participate in this, with enough people refusing to use U.S. dollars and just using cryptocurrency or, or you know, some other way or one of these, you know, swapping sites or whatever, uh, 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 service swapping, you know, bargaining, um, bartering sites, things like that, um, I think that, that, you know, you can effectively just make the government, even if it still exists, just make it irrelevant to your life. And make it harder and harder for them to claim relevance. Um, see what else. Invade Mexico and Mexico's southernmost border would be way easier to defend. Yeah, so that's um, it's actually easier for uh, Mexico to invade uh, for people to come from it precisely because of uh, the U.S. having Texas. Um, so actually, the m more you go into their land, the easier it is for them to get to you. Um, and that has borne out time and time again. Uh, you look at the history of Europe's colonization of Africa, and we're now seeing the, the decades and centuries long blowback of that, which is the skyrocketing uh, population of, um, of Africans uh, uh, and, and immigrants of all stripes, but, but especially Africans, especially North Africans coming into Europe. And now the Europeans are saying they're taking over. Well, you went into their lands and... Uh, in doing so, you made it easier for them to come into your land. So that's actually, I, I disagree with that. They're pilgrims. I don't know what that was. Yeah, oh, the, the, the Hondurans are pilgrims. Yeah, someone, so earlier today, someone said, why don't the illegals, why don't these immigrants stay in their own countries and make them better? And I said, yeah, you know, those people that came on the Mayflower were real, real losers. Um, you know, the reality is, the answer to that question is that um, they have a better shot uh 
at there is more market economics allowed here than in their countries. Um, and as a result, um, it makes more sense for them to come here. So that's why they're coming here. Because it makes more sense for them. Oh, so. Uh, Deadpool is better in Japanese. We, we, we've established that. Um, and yeah, there is a delay. I got off the phone and jumped on the live stream and I could hear the end of our combo. Yeah, so that's, I'm because I'm simulcasting, we uh, we go through uh, uh, one service that then streams to Facebook and YouTube. So there's like a good, I don't know, 15, 20 second delay. So um, uh, Mike uh, Tarv says they're also Americans. Um, I'm not sure who you're referring to. Oh, if you're saying, oh, because they're Central Americans, that they're Americans. They're not U.S. citizens, but they're, they're part of this, this um, landmass, I guess you could say. But that to me, I mean, again... And this is part of my faith. I'm taught that we are all children of God. And the state teaches me that I'm supposed to care more about people uh, that are born on this side of the border or that naturalized and became citizens. I'm supposed to care more about people that share my citizenry than I am about people that don't share my citizenry. But not more about people. So, for example, that doesn't continue into where I'm supposed to care more about people in Ory County, South Carolina than in Marion County, South Carolina, or more about people in Myrtle Beach than people in North Myrtle Beach or Conway. Just that I'm only supposed to care more about my fellow American citizens than I am about people who are from other countries. They never really give a compelling reason why. Um, they just say I do, and they, they appeal to my patriotism and tell me that I hate America or hate people if I don't. But here's the reality. I may or may not share more in common with those illegals in terms of my faith, my values, my work ethic, my whatever. My I may share nothing in common with them, but I may very well share more in common with them than I do with many other American citizens. I know that there are people all around the world. There are many different people that I share far more in common with than I do with certain people who I'm American citizens. So then why should I care more about that American citizen? Because we're all in the same state-run tax revenue farm? How is that benefiting me? How is that benefiting them? How does that benefit anyone other than people in power who have demonstrated their desire to harm us for their own power? It doesn't. So, that's my answer to that. So, I believe I've answered everyone que everyone's questions. And I have been going for over an hour answering your questions. And so I think, assuming that no one else is going to call in or ask any more questions, that this is a good time to sign off. So guys, thank you again for joining us, joining me, Spike Cohen, on My Fellow Americans. And join us on this channel, on Muddy Waters Media Channel. Join us um, on, let's see, why is that not working? Join us on um, tomorrow, on uh, Thursday night, uh, a very special episode of The Writer's Block with Matt Wright, the executive director of Muddy Waters Media, his show. Um, we weren't able, Matt wasn't able to do our normal show, The Muddy Waters of Freedom, that we co-host together on Tuesday. Uh, and so I'm going to be his guest on The Writer's Block. So it's sort of like a Thursday episode of The Muddy Waters of Freedom, except it isn't. It's actually an episode of the Writer's Block. Guest hosting with guest me, Spike Cohen. 
So join us for that, and then join us next Tuesday for the Mighty Waters of Freedom. And don't forget to join us on Election Day, the live election extravelectionaganza. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on that title. Election evening coverage all night long of the Muddy Waters of Freedom with me, Spike Cohen, and with Matt Wright, Executive Director of the Muddy Waters of Freedom. We will be covering the election results as they come in, live blogging, if you will. And we'll be taking your calls and your predictions, and we'll be laughing at whoever loses because we're libertarians. <laughs> the libertarians aren't going to win. So uh, whoever wins, we're going to not be happy with, and whoever, la whoever loses, we're going to laugh at. Which is my way of coping with the reality of that situation. So join us for that. And thank you guys so much for all your questions. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a part of the My Fellow Americans family. God bless you. And it's not, I was going to say Shabbat Shalom, but it's not the Sabbath. But when it's the Sabbath, Shabbat Shalom to you and to yours. And I love each and every one of you individually and as a, as a collective. And thank you for joining me on My Fellow Americans. Tune in next week or tune in tomorrow. And then tune in next week. Just keep tuning in. Just stay tuned. I love you guys. God bless you. See you tomorrow. Why?